All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And tonight we're going to go all the way to the polarized caps being melted, the dreaded future of 12 years from now, apparently according to the Green New Deal. We're talking about Waterworld tonight. We have a special guest who's going to join us in just a few moments. Uh, this is episode 153 of the show. I can't believe they've let us keep uh, going on this long. They've only shut down one of our YouTube channels so far. Uh, but uh, you can find the show notes more at actuallyanarchy.com slash 153. We're, of course, talking about Waterworld, Kevin Costner, uh, Epic, otherwise known as Ishtar. Uh, Robert, my co-host, hey, is buddy. here. How are you doing, yeah, sir? Before we introduce our guest on the Last Nurse Portion Show in just a few moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You doing good? You doing, yeah, you're feeling yeah, strong? Feeling good, feeling strong, feeling live, limber. All right, that's what, we, that's what we need. I, I know you did a photo shoot for your new, uh, your new job, your new business. Did that go pretty well? Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of nudity. I really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> All right, this is a family show. Not really. Yeah, well, families can get... Never mind. All right, yeah, well, let's not get too weird. But we will get weird on last night's show talking about this movie with our guest who we'll introduce in just a moment. Here we go. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters. The Last Nighters can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is show number 96. You can find the show notes at lastnighters.com slash 96. We're talking about Waterworld. Dryland is not a myth, and either is the man, the myth, the legend, who is now our guest, formerly known as Mance Raider of the Free Man Beyond the Wall con- uh, podcast. He is now going by Peter R. Quinones. And he's the managing editor of the Libertarian Institute and hosts the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. He's released a couple of books, Freedom Through Memedom, The 31-Day Guide to Waking Up to Liberty in November 2017. And uh, what's the second book? I don't have it in your in your list. The, here. the Kids Are Not All Right. And that was released um, about six months, like five months later. Okay. Uh, I, I was yeah I, I went through a period there where I was very motivated. Yes, yeah, you were you were on the ball uh, then writing a bunch of books. Um, and uh, you're also working on a documentary. Uh, it says in the notes here, it's called The Monopoly on Violence. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and let us know what that is about before we get into Waterworld here in just a moment. All right. Peter Arquinones, formerly Mance Raider, formerly Pete Raymond. Raymond's my middle name. That's the R. And The Monopoly on Violence is I was approached by an, a couple of ANCAPs here in Atlanta. And they said, let's do a documentary on anarchism. And we're going to present all an- you know, we're going to try and present all sides of anarchy. Um, if we can get some anarcho-socialists to talk to us and some anarcho-communists to talk to us, we'll actually present that. But the, the pretty much the goal of it is to show the history of government, um, how young the nation state, the idea of the nation state is, and show them for what 
the worst things that they do, that they are a monopoly on violence in, in a given area that they've taken control of through violence and to show and to show, you know, <laughs> an alternative. And, you know, we've already interviewed probably <laughs> 12, 13 prominent ANCAPs for this. We've interviewed Ron Paul. You know, we've interviewed um, Daniel McAdams. We've, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people for this. The We're going to be interviewing in a couple weeks, James C. Scott, who if most people know, he's one of the premier anthropologists on the planet. And he's going to be a big part of the first part of it, talking about nation states. Um, he wrote a book called The Art of Not Being Governed. And um, yeah, I'd say it, it, it's a monumental project. Um, I really didn't. I didn't really understand how much I was going to be involved in it when I got in it, when I got involved, when I was asked to be involved. But um, now I'm just 100 percent. I mean, this is this is one of those things where I like look at it as legacy. You know, this can be this can be your legacy if you make it right. So that's what we're concentrating on right now. Just a couple more interviews. And, um, you know, David Friedman, of course, we got to get and, um, you know, James C. Scott, like I said, and start putting this thing together and um aiming to get it out next march i'm starting to think more and more especially with the holidays coming up it'll look like it'll be may because we want to have i want to have it out before the libertarian party national convention in uh in may of 2020 okay yeah that sounds that sounds like a very noble effort indeed is that uh is the target audience more of the lay person who maybe doesn't understand or conceive of the state as violence, so it's like a, a red pill or an eye opener for them. Oh yeah, that's the way we're going to write it. I mean, the way we're the way we're writing it is that it's going to be just a history and just laying it out. You know, we have Scott Horton talking about all the wars and you know, wars the health of the state, Randolph Bourne kind of you know, Randolph Bourne kind of stuff. And then we're just going to hit them with the alternative, and we're going to do it in such a way that anyone should be able to grasp it, you know, and, you know, we're, we've already been told pretty much Amazon prime is a given, um, but we are hiring somebody who, you know, like gets you on Netflix and stuff like that. We've actually contemplated selling it to Netflix, but then we decided against it that, um, we want to have total control over it. You know, net, net, you sell it to somebody and then they could shelve it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we, we want to be able to put it out there and, um, just be able to have every ANCAP and libertarian volunteer say, tell members of their family, their friends and everything, go watch that. Yeah. No holds you know? barred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want, we don't, we don't, we're not, the reason we're producing this all by ourselves and um, everything is we're not editing. We're not going to allow it to be edited. So yeah, you know, we're going to put it out the way we want to put it out. Very nice. Well, speaking of legacies, let's talk about this movie that I think Kevin Costner might've thought was going to be, one of his legacy films. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit here. Uh, I do have I do have um, conspiracy theory about this movie that you can let you can hit me with anytime. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll go to we'll go to that right after uh, how we normally open here with the Google description. So, Waterworld came out in 1995. It's PG-13 sci-fi thriller, two hours and 56 minutes according to Google. It got a 6.2 on the IMDb, 45% Rotten Tomatoes, and 56% Metacritic. However, 87% of Google users like it. I think it has a little bit of a cult classic uh, draw to it. Uh, so here's the, descri the description. After the melting of the polar ice caps, most of the globe is underwater. Some humans have survived, and even fewer still, notably the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner, have adapted to the ocean by developing gills. A loner by nature, the Mariner reluctantly befriends Helen and her young companion, Enola. 
As they escape from a hostile artificial island, soon the sinister smokers are pursuing them in the belief that Enola holds the key to finding the mythical dry land. This came out on July 28, 1995. The director uh, is Kevin Reynolds, though I hear he didn't actually finish the film due to some friction with Kevin Costner. The budget was a blistering $175 million, only to be eclipsed later by Titanic, and the box office was $264.2 million. I'm going to go to Robert, my co-host, first for your reaction on the Google description, and we will go to our guest, Peter. Well, I don't recall it being three hours. What did you say? It was three hours long, Daniel? It says two hours and 56 minutes on here, but uh, I recall in watching it just the other night, it was just over two hours or two and a half, something like that. So perhaps this is the uh, the longer cut where they actually like reveal that it's Mount Everest at the end. Spoilers, everyone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's quite as long as what it has listed here. Yeah, there must be a different cut because I remember it being about 2.15. But I do want to say that... Uh, this has got to be one of the greatest documentaries of all time. <laughs> it, it solves, it answers three of the most burning philosophical questions that have been plaguing man for the past couple decades. One, who's better, merman or regular man? The answer is clearly regular man, because you put merman on some dirt and he cries like a little bitch and he swims away. Two, which is better, Navy or Air Force? Well, the answer is clearly Air Force, because for two hours, they're just like splashing around in the water and then they get in a Zeppelin and then like two minutes later, they find dry land. So clearly <laughs> Air Force and three, which is better, 90s extreme sport bungee jumping or 90s extreme sport ski doing? And the answer, I know a lot of people have been talking, saying that this movie is pro bungee jumping propaganda, but I say that this is exactly what would happen if you tie a bungee around a merman and he jumps off a zeppelin to grab a little magical tattoo girl and then to go back up just as these Looney Tunes ski doers are about to collide. This is a masterpiece and it's right up alongside other key documentaries like They Live and X-Files and The Last Starfighter. So I think it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And it's incredible what they did. All right. I'm going to throw Zoolander in there as well. And maybe Idiocracy as far as um, documentaries go. And I will add that that there is a, an extra difficulty level to the technical aspect of the bungee jump. As he was bungee jumping, not only to pick up a little girl who's magical and has this tattoo on her, but also over a waterborne mine, apparently, uh, without triggering it so that the ski-doo guys would, of course, trigger the mine. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So if this is like the bungee jumping Olympics, he gets like extra difficulty. Right. Yeah. It's like a 6.2 on the difficulty scale. I don't even know how that works. But uh, Peter, your take on the Google description and, and the nonsense that my co-host has uh, dribbled out before. Well, when, he, when he talked about the three main philosophical questions, I was like immediately my libertarian mind is like he's going to go to he'll, who will build the roads. I just couldn't believe that didn't come up. You know? <laughs> but um, are, are we sh how was it revealed that that was Mount Everest? I believe it's in uh, the extended cut or deleted scenes. Okay, okay. I was, I was, I was wondering if it was somewhere in Nepal, Tibet, something like that. I figured that's where it was, because um, I wa I think the version I watched was only two hours long. And when they found the dead people, they, there was, um, you know, Asian writing of an Oriental uh, style there. So that's immediately what went into my mind. Um, okay, hundred seventy-five million dollars. I remember, okay, a bunch of things about this movie because I'm old enough to remember when it came out. First of all, this is the first movie that I remember that was absolutely panned before it 
anyone ever saw a second of it. I mean, there were people were writing um, sh like shows on E on the E network were all saying that this was the worst movie ever made and no one had seen it. Okay, the, who knows why that happened? I, I don't remember. Second of all, 175 million. There was a conspiracy theory around that when it was happening because at the time this movie was being made, if you if you check the credits, Kevin Costner is a producer. That means he's putting up money for it. Okay, he was going through a divorce with his wife, and the theory was that he was taking money and hiding it inside the movie budget so that his wife wouldn't get it. So that's why it ran. So that's why the budget ran so high. Clever girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So um, okay. So to me. This movie is like one of those movies that I would expect statists to throw at anarchists and be like, this is this is the future you want, because <laughs> it's like it's just it's horrible. It's like every everything about this movie is just you know, their existence is just awful and everything, you know, and it's like, well, first of all, it starts off with immediately. The first thing is global warming. They're shoving global warming down your throat. You know, this is what's going to happen. Um, but then it just goes to like this world where, you know, People will try to barter, but you know no one's going to barter. You know, only the strongest or the most, um, the ones that have the most forces are going to be able to barter because any individual like the mariner, um, will, you know, will be taken captive and everything of his will be stolen. It just seemed to me like you know when I think of libertarian themes, I'm just looking. I'm going, this is like you know, this isn't like ANCAP ball. This is like straw man ball. You know, it's like this is like the perfect straw man to throw out there. Oh, you just want it to be like you know. This is like Somali on water or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mad Max on water. Yeah, yeah. Mad Max on water. That works. That works really well too. But um, yeah. It's overall, it's not a bad story. So, the acting is really over the top, especially like the the Deacon character, Dennis Hopper. But it's meant to be that way. It's not like they, you know, they just gave up halfway through and were like, okay, just everybody act like you know, everybody act stupid. I mean, it was just meant to be something that was like way over the top and cartoonish and almost you know almost like um graphic novel kind of thing where it's just kind of ridiculous some of the scenes are kind of ridiculous and everything and um you know and then you had um the one character the one that they come upon and it's tig from sons of anarchy and um you know he you know he wants to buy what was uh gene Triplehorn's name helen yeah he wants to buy helen and everything and it was just you know i mean it just i just saw like every like um Every stereotype that's thrown at us was like, you know, just on water. You know, that, that's that's pretty much what I saw. I mean, there were some points of um, some libertarian points that we can talk about. But, um, yeah, that's just my overview of it. All right. Well, very good. And and speaking to the money, the, the lavish spending, apparently part of the um, friction on set was because Costner was staying in this luxury bungalow. It was forty five hundred dollars a night. And that's back in. Uh, 1994 dollars so that would equate to according to the cpi calculation 70 uh almost 7800 dollars a day uh these days and he was on set for 157 days so 1.2 million dollars in today's dollars for him to have accommodation but i mean if he was a producer and he was putting the money up you know, well, i mean if i'm putting the money up i'm gonna stay where i want to right yeah and i have no problem with him staying however he wanted to but apparently it caused some animosity on set because a lot of the uh the staff and the other actors were staying in less than nice accommodations as a where, result. Where was it shot? Uh, mostly in Hawaii, I believe. Okay. With some of it in uh, California location. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Robert, um, do you have any take on the, the budget 
bloatedness and also the conspiracy theory that Peter brought up because it is kind of interesting. You know, if you like fund a little money over here, then it's not accessible in a divorce situation. <laughs> so well, you know, yeah, let's let a hand there. Yeah, that's smart. Um, I know that movie budgets are often a great way to like launder. I don't know if you want to say launder money, but I like you know, that a lot term. of money. Just, it's kind of like a black hole where you can just kind of throw money and money kind of just disappears. And, you know, there's not a lot of accounting for it. So I know when um, writers will sell their scripts to Hollywood and they'll be saying like, well, I'm going to get instead of like, you know, $500,000 up front for this script, I'm going to take, you know, 1% off the back end. Well, the movie never actually officially, you know, makes money. Even if they take in like a billion dollars, there are so many different rabbit holes that they could throw money down that they never actually, the studio never shows a profit. So then the writer never actually ends up making any money. And so I'm not surprised that that would happen. I think it's pretty smart um, when it comes to divorces. Uh, the law systems, especially in this country, tend to take a lot of what is earned and give to the wife, you know, to maintain like her quote, like level of but a custom life or whatever it is, a level of comfort that she's accustomed to as if that's what you deserve as, you know, as if the, the guy has an obligation to continue to support that life. Uh, and it's also, it's all force and theft. I mean, if these were voluntary contracts or voluntary things, that'd be fine, but it's the state getting involved. And yeah, I'm against all of that. But um, I, I don't know much more about the, the, the contracts or that, the, the money, but what I did find funny in the movie, I guess I'm going to call it a movie, is the economy where they apparently have, and this is who knows how long in the future, right? Like the earth, it's many generations since the water has gone up, right? People don't even remember dry land. Yeah, it's many then, generations after 12 years from now, apparently. Right. But they somehow still manufacture brand new fresh cigarettes with tobacco and they have plenty of gasoline, but they don't have water desalinization technology for some reason well he does have the de-urinification uh, system <laughs> he's yeah. got the de yeah he's got that the de-urinifier that was peak and cap <laughs> yeah there you go yeah yeah that that's all interesting stuff and, and i agree they didn't really like reconstruct how an economy would probably actually function if something like that would actually befall uh the planet however comma i'll just add that um you could estimate that the amount of flooding that would have occurred to make this happen would have been about 25,000 or more feet, right? To only have Mount Everest and a few other like islands still above sea level. But even if all of the fresh water, frozen fresh water that's currently on land right now were to melt, it's estimated that the sea level would only rise approximately 400 feet. So this is magnitudes off of even what's possible. Well, um, we were talking, um, Robert mentioned gasoline. Deacon's boat, he would he asked um you know how many how much of the black stuff do we have and i assume he's talking about oil i didn't see any refiner it was that boat a refinery as well it was the exxon how, valdez well yeah it was the exxon valdez that was actually pretty cool but the exxon valdez was not a um was not, not a didn't refinery. Re, wasn't a refinery you yeah. know so it's like i'm i'm like okay where is the fuel coming for the plane where is the fuel coming for the jet skis how are they doing any of this? You know, it's just, uh, am, am I supposed he, to forget that, that oil needs to be refined in order to be, you know. Right. And also doesn't last forever once it's been distilled down to gasoline, right? Like you need to yeah, stabilize it. Var it. it varnishes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And at least in Mad Max Fury Road there, you know, they have, have like some kind of mechanism for gasoline 
I think that's what they called it back then or in, in that movie to, you know, still be traded and still become available and in, into their economy. But we don't see any of that in here. They just seem to have some and it's a bit of a limited supply and they're using it for banditry and becoming a, a bit of a roving band of warlords taking over these atolls and basically pillaging like um, I don't want to offend any of the Scandinavian types, but, you know, Viking style. Right. Well, the um, one thing that I thought immediately was, you know, of course, everybody, their goal, Deacon's goal was to get to dry land. That, and that's for people who are listening. That's the bad, the bad guy, Dennis Hopper. And immediately what I thought was, OK, they get to dry land. He gets everybody to dry land. They set up a civilization. Immediately, it's going to be they're going to he's going to be the government. They're going to set up a government. And eventually, and I would say not even in 20 years, he's going to be he's not going to be remembered as this pirate of the sea. He's going to be like this legit guy. You know, he's going to be wearing suits and everything. And he's going to be sitting there and he probably not having people executed and everything anymore. So all I kept thinking was if Deacon ever gets to dry land, he's just going to become a government. You know, and it's not like you know, the people that did make dry land aren't eventually going to become a government either. But I saw Deacon as like the perfect example of someone who is going to become, you know, he's a dictator and he'll get there and he'll become, he'll become less of a dictator. And then eventually he's going to become like, le- people look at him as like legit, like a le- you know, like a leader of some sort. Right. Yeah. It sure. reminds me yeah. of, a, of this quote. I forget what it, what it was exactly, but it was somebody who was being pursued um, for pirate activities and his quip back to them was, was, well, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. It's just, you have a flag and, and a country and, you have an air of legitimacy. Legitimacy was that was that from Atlas Shrugged? Was that Ragnar? Oh, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, yeah. That's, I Here I am know. confusing. I thought it was an actual historical person, but <laughs> no, that sounds that that sounds like Ragnar. I think it was something he said when um, Dagny first got to Galt's Gulch. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, Robert, I, I was cutting you off, but before before I uh, uncut you off here, I just wanted to mention the twenty five thousand feet thing being kind of ridiculous. Who's making this prediction? Is it Al Gore? Is it Greta? Is it AOC? Because they need to check their maths because they're, t- they're, they're way off. <laughs> yeah, there's not enough ice in the world to flood the world that that much, for sure. Um, it would, I think if all the polar ice caps melt, it would, you said, what, 400 feet, which would, you know, flood all the, the inlands or all the, uh, the coastal areas. And a lot sure. of the population centers, but it also wouldn't like be all at once. You know, it wouldn't be like this sudden catastrophic, everyone's going to die thing. It would be a gradual thing. And if it became an issue, then people would move and migrate. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know about this gradual stuff, man. When I woke up yesterday morning, it was 70 degrees. When I woke up this morning, it was 32 degrees. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. Man. It's climate change. <laughs> it's by the well, hour. They now. don't present. They don't present a world that's noticeably hotter. Do they? You wouldn't you need the world to be noticeably hotter for all that stuff to melt? Unless it's a cycle, like all of us say, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, people who actually studied history and looked at it and you know, know that the hockey stick is total bull. You know? <laughs> well, when they do reveal the uh, the island, the dry land, it is a lush tropical paradise. So, you know, right now, Mount Everest would be a very cold and desolate place so that it would be warmer. Right. As a result. That makes sense. Yeah, I was very shocked by how green it was. That was uh, it was actually very beautiful. But the um, yeah, I mean, I would assume with the with the water levels rising. Um, but then again, I mean, wouldn't during the winter you'd still have the you'd still have the seasons, though. I, I don't I mean, Wouldn't you just be sitting around going, damn, is it hot all the time? I mean, you'd be just <laughs> complaining constantly. It'd be like 105 degrees all the time. You wouldn't want to do anything. 
I mean, yeah, they're very scantily clad in this movie, but not a single person complains about the heat, which I find incredibly unrealistic. Yeah. Now, do you think that this movie was a contributing factor culturally to the climate change alarmism? And if so, was it intentional? And corollary, is this where the left, the progressive left, just to clarify, get their scientific information from movies like this? Well, it seems like it. I thought they would just get it off the bathroom wall, like Burning Man or something. Like <laughs> so they get super wasted and whatever pops in their head. But the um oh, and the, here's a little bit of trivia. Um, Enola, the little girl, that's Deb from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And when oh. you look at her, when you look at her face, you're like, "This is oh, that's Deb from Napoleon Dynamite." Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, now I can kind of see it. Yeah. And that, that's another movie that we got to do at some point. Oh, um, that, I, I love that movie. I'll come back for that. One. One. Oh, okay. I, I, I love, and you know that movie—the first time I watched it, I was like, "What the hell did I just watch?" Right. Yeah. And a friend and a friend of mine said, "You got to watch it again." And I watched it again, and I'm like, "Holy crap! This is one of the most clever movies ever." And it's—I didn't get it the first time, and my friend's like, "Yeah, I didn't get it the first time either." And then someone told me to watch it again, and it's just—it's—it's it's a really, really good movie. It's—it's it, it's such a good movie. There's so many still shots to meme in that movie oh my goodness oh yeah yeah <laughs> all right well we'll mark that one down and and the postman uh oh yeah to, to oh, complete yeah. our kevin costner trilogy um but speaking of enola i wanted to ask uh ask you guys if do you think that that name was chosen for a specific reason i know helen was a reference to helen of troy um but do you think enola was a reference to perhaps the uh, atomic bomb or atomic power because the enola gay was the aircraft that delivered the first bomb over Japan or um, spelled backwards, Enola means alone. So do you think there's any symbolism or meaning behind the name of, of the girl character? Go ahead, Robert. Just, Go ahead, Robert. Yeah. I'm not smart enough for that. I, yeah, I, just judging by the level of script writing, I'd have to say no. I mean, this, <laughs> this is a movie where the villain is super cartoonishly evil and for no reason. I mean, other than, you know, he's got this, you know, he, he wants to find dry land, which we all, you know, we would sympathize with everybody wants to find dry land, but he's the one that's like, he doesn't care about how he gets it done. Right? But, but, so but, like, but do you want to find dry land? If all you've known for generations is not dry land, like, like you called the Mariner a bitch when he left, but he's a, he's a creature of the sea now, like dry land would not be a comfortable place for him. He's a hybrid. I, yeah. I was, I, I, I take offense to you calling him a bitch. He's a hybrid. <laughs> he's a mutant bitch. <laughs> He's a mutie. He's a dirty mutie, and he needs to be killed. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, it's it's. It, wasn't there a great scene like when they're first escaping out of that atoll, and he like swims underneath the water like a dolphin, and then he oh, jumps yeah. out. That was oh, wild, man. So good. That was great. That really that was really a good scene. I, I I'd like to know how they do that. I, I like watched it in slow motion, looking for um, looking for like wires Table and stuff. Or, and I didn't yeah. see. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Well, maybe they sped up the film. That may be how they accomplished that. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that too. But I thought it was, it was just hilarious. Now, what did you guys have been like some like flipper sound effects? Cause he is m seriously motoring through that water. Now, what'd you, what'd you guys think of, of that society, that atoll that he first comes upon to trade? Um, th they have like religious shaman and it's very primitive style. And as soon as they discover that he's a mutie, they're like, Oh, kill him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and that was like their law and, and their enforcer guy who I have to give props to. He was like, Hey, I'm here to enforce justice, and this is not it to at least prevent the mob from killing him. I'm just a little tired of the whole, oh, these people have existed here for so long and everything. And then all of a sudden, the bad guys show up and everything. 
thing. It's like, you know, I mean, I know it has to be done that way and everything. But they could have at least let like two weeks go by before the bad guys showed up. He was like, oh, they've never showed up before to, you know, take this place down. But, you know, they're going to show up just on, you know, the day that the Mariner shows up and everything. What a coincidence. Just, yeah, yeah. It's like the the whole um, like World War Z horrible movie. The book is friggin' amazing. It's is one that, of my favorites. Is that Brad Pitt? My, yeah. yeah, that's a great book. The book is amazing. I, I've I've actually read it twice, and um, it reads like a a UN uh, report. So it's it's it's, a, it's very interesting the way they did it. But um, it was like yeah, in the movie, Brad Pitt shows up to shows up to Jerusalem, and oh, wouldn't you know it? At when he's there, that's when they break in. You know, that's when the, the um the infected break in and get in there. You know, and everything. It's just like, come on, I'm just done with <laughs> done with this device, this device that they use all the time. It's like, surprise me every once in a while. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that movie has nothing to do with the book. Oh, I know. Yeah. There's nothing. There's literally nothing in that movie that I can remember that's in the book. Just the title. Yeah, yeah. And, and, title and, and made a whole new thing. And Max Brooks um, said that, you know, because of who his dad is, he knew that when he sold the book off, that they were going to completely change the movie. And he's just like, I'm taking it as a payday. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do with it what you want. It's still my book. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It sounds a little bit like what happened to Starship Troopers. Like it kind of became this its own separate different thing, though. I I would argue that not only is the book good, but the the movie is good for its own kind of different thing you know like they're both yeah. they're both art they're both good so, yeah if you, yeah but world war z the movie is not yeah world <laughs> war z is awful but yeah starship troopers the movie if you've never read the book you i think most people enjoy the movie for its you know? campiness you know it's like it's over the top too like i think this one was trying to be and in, in many ways it was but i think it worked maybe more so in starship troopers because it yeah. wasn't taking itself seriously as this one seemed to be until dennis hopper was on screen well and all of his minions it's like, I mean, could they have put, I mean, Dennis Hopper's enough of a freak. Did they have to just surround him with friggin' the cast of the movie Freaks? Oh, I mean, yeah. It was just, it, it was amazing. Yeah, he called them all his cousins, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. well, inbred, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, and that was another thing at the Atoll. They were like, hey, uh, Mariner, dude, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> we need we need some new genetics in here because we're, we're kind of making <laughs> a little yeah. hodgepodge. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But um, you know, I mean, one thing what the atoll is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, at, atoll. I think that atoll. was any um civilized area, like any floating right. above water area. Well, I mean, it was I mean, until they found out that he was a um, you know, a mutant. It, it just seemed like a nice agorist society, you know, like I mean, it, it seems like a perfect situation for agorism, how one person would be out on the water and another person wouldn't, they'd meet up and then they'd trade and everything. I mean, that's capitalism. You know, that's, you know, you put agorism in there too. Um, because agorism doesn't have to be black market. It could be gray market or anything. Well, I mean, at that point, I guess it's just capitalism, but, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was, everything was good until <laughs> they saw behind his ears. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, kill him, kill him, put him in the sorgulent green, like recycling, system here well okay here, here's a point i want to make about this movie that they could have went really dark with this movie um people are out there starving okay people are out on the water remember kevin costner gets dragged he's getting dragged behind the God, what do they what do they call that boat the, the trimaran the, the the style of boat that he has uh, i think it's a tri yeah. trimaran because it's got the three the three holes mm, right okay. okay it's like the, the um, millennium falcon of watercraft apparently it's like super fast <laughs> you yeah, know, it can transform and shoot out a Thing. yeah 
so he gets he gets that sea monster and kills it and they eat and everything but the whole time i'm thinking they could go really dark and revert to cannibalism see i think you're seeing the future and like elizabeth warren's won the presidency and that's that's where we get (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i was thinking that especially when i can't remember what the character's name was who he sold gene triple horn to and then he changed his mind all i know is that that's the guy who played tig on um friggin sons anarchy yeah yeah. um, sean i can't remember what his name but um when that guy thought was like robin williams light he was yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. but they they kill him and then i'm like well yeah i mean you know gotta eat and everything and it's like and then you know just i think threw him overboard and everything and i'm just like so they haven't reverted to cannibalism that's interesting Right, yeah, they were saying how hungry they were, especially on the on the boat that had been damaged, and there would seem to seem like there was no other like wildlife other than these giant monsters that apparently Fonzie jumped over when this movie jumped the shark, um, <laughs> which they don't explain how they got there or why they're there. Like, why are there now suddenly like giant mutant monsters and like no fish? Yeah, what are they? What are they now, eating? Now, I think I heard one of you say that they don't say how far in the future this is from the cap smelting. Did they at one point? They said it was they, generations and generations. Did, or, they or, didn't say a couple hundred years at one point? Um, I saw in some notes that it was estimated to be 500 years in the future, but I okay. don't know if there was any reference really in the movie. Though okay. They did say I, um, mistakes of our ancestors or something like that. Like, you know, because we're consuming like animal fats or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's just, you know, we're living our life. And obviously, so, yeah, we're going to make the polar ice caps. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so I mean, you know, it's like, oh, we had an. There was an. What, what do they? They claim twelve thousand years ago there was an ice age. Eleven thousand years ago, yeah. What SUVs caused that? I think it was the Ford Explorer and the uh, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, and, the Ford Woolly Mammoth. And there's also didn't aren't there reports that there's global warming on Mars? It's like so. What is it? The rover up there is just just <laughs> pumping out the CO two. <laughs> yeah, there are like two of them up there. I think. Hey, oh, they need CO two on Mars. That's we're gonna have to do that if we're gonna terraform it. Yeah, terraform the hell out of that thing, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the guy who Costner was um, bartering with, trading the women or time with the women, including the girls. So a little nod to pedophilia. You know, just throw Epstein out into the uh, into the mix here. Um, obviously, that's a fucked up situation. And the Mariner, he's an antihero. He's not like a great guy, uh, but he does agree to this deal, and then he reneges on the deal. And then there's a fight. And like, how do we, how do you guys view that situation? Like, obviously he wasn't in a position to legitimately make this offer, but right. then also because reneging he, on the offer is like, okay, that is a bit of a violation of the terms as understood by the guy. But, but he never had ownership over the property he was trading with. So that deal was null and void from the get-go. He never had the uh, the authority to trade those goods. Right. But it doesn't make Kevin Costner a good dude either. No, not at all. No, sure. not at all. He's sure. he's willing to do it from the start, and then he just changes his mind. I mean, if if the thoughts are there, you know, if you're willing to to go through it and you change your mind, there's something wrong with him. Um, I, and, and here was let's just talk about that scene. Another horrible device that they use in movies is the guy who's been mortally wounded comes climbing up out of the bottom, you know, out of the the um. The hole is the hull? The hull, yeah, yeah the hull or the cabin. Yeah. yeah, the cabin of the boat first. So you think that he's one and everything. The guy's been mortally wounded. What the hell? I mean, how the hell? Come on. Stop. Well, in this movie, gotcha. in this movie, <laughs> getting shot in the abdomen is not that big a deal. Because <laughs> yeah. 
the Mariner gets shot, and so does Enola. She also gets shot, and it's just like, eh, whatever. You know, having not seen this in a long, long time, I thought that perhaps that wound would eventually, he would succumb to it by the end, but die a hero or die redeemed, you know, with his character arc going from his being this evil dude who doesn't give a shit about anybody and who's trading, you know, pimping out these women. And prior to that, he also did some pretty nefarious shit. Like when he was first escaping the uh, the atoll, he was like, oh, just dump the girl, you know, just we need to escape, just kill her or whatever. And then even before that, he actually like swatted the first guy he encountered who stole the limes from him. Oh, yeah. He he basically weaponized the smokers uh, pursuit and he destroyed that guy's boat so the smokers would kill him. So he weaponized them. I, I felt that that was like almost being responsible for the murder itself in a way, even though the smokers, of course, did the murder. But he knew it was going to happen. So he made sure that that guy was put in a position to where he would be killed. But anyway. <laughs> well, it was a bear situation, right? I mean, he, you, you got a bear chasing you and you just need to make sure you outrun the other guy. Not Yeah, you just got to be faster than the, than the other guy. <laughs> you, you shoot the other guy in the leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you didn't kill the guy, but, you know, you knew the bear would. So it's... Uh... Well, it was interesting how they tried to, not from the start, but uh, from the point where they're um helen and enola when they first leave how they try to tell you that the mariner is not such a bad guy when basically enola gets naked and offers herself to him and she's and you know he says no you, you mean know, helen and, right uh, helen yeah yeah okay not, not enola yeah yeah that, that would be really creepy but um and <laughs> and definitely something that our detractors would say you know <laughs> but um Correct. the um yeah i mean i guess at that point they're trying to trying to say okay he's not such a bad guy um you know giving you some foreshadowing of the future or his turn right yeah because right, he did yeah. seem like enticed at least like he didn't well, yeah. immediately say no but i you know it was interesting that what made him turn was actually the girl you know he he took a liking to the girl, taught her how to swim and everything like that and took her out into the, and, um, you know, that was, you know, it wasn't going to be the, the wiles of some, you know, tart. It was going to be, you know, an innocent little girl. That, that was, that's, that's actually a nice part of the story. Right. And I could totally imagine somebody who's living that lonely of a life, like a, a friend would be a very significant and worthwhile thing like on your marginal utility scale you know it's like it would be super <laughs> important if you didn't have because we saw with the guy who um we were talking about earlier that had the mortal wound uh he he was stir crazy like he was out alone a little bit too long you know yeah. he out was the sun uh, too long yeah yeah he was in solitary well, but too long and the cameras malfunctioned yeah and I, can't, I was just I, gonna say that <laughs> great months <laughs> i can't get past the paper issue i'm sorry if i'm beating a dead horse here but the Robin Williams light guy wants to trade this paper, which is like it's like his super treasure thing. Like there isn't paper. Paper doesn't exist. You don't have trees. You don't have soil. You don't have paper. But the smokers have fresh rolled cigarettes. Either that, I mean, they're throwing them out like candy, and they're smoking chain smoking them the whole movie, or they're smoking hundreds of year old cigarettes, which I can't even imagine how horrific that would be. Right, and 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 Deacon is passing them out to appease the masses or, or to keep them happy. He was a bit of a crossover between a politician and a religious shaman or not a shaman but like a religious figurehead yeah it, it is interesting anybody i don't i haven't smoked in a very long time smoked cigarettes in a very long time i, I want to say cigarettes um but yeah i mean they get stale very fast so that was very um very unrealistic i mean even in a pack if you let a pack sit around for too long um 
unopened. I mean, it's going to be stale when it comes out. So and they start falling apart after a while, too. So it's just I mean, that just didn't make any sense. But I mean, come on. The whole thing about fuel. There's so much about this thing that didn't, yeah. didn't make any sense. You know, how do these friggin' these jet ski guys know? I, I mean, they're like friggin' in the circus or something, you know, <laughs> doing some of the stunts that they're doing. Some of those great underwater stunts, which are actually pretty amazing. If you've ever seen jet, like people who can do stuff like that on jet skis, it's absolutely amazing. But um, yeah, it's like where did they get learn how to do this and everything? That whole attack of the atoll at the be- at the beginning is so ridiculous it is just it is so over the top it is so graphic novel it was it's so funny the quad so, the quad 50 cal was pretty badass though yeah that know. was cool until it burned out yeah that was cool yeah but oh, yeah, like, it's another thing who's manufacturing all the bullets yeah yeah apparently they <laughs> floated you know and they just they found have all them. this reloading equipment and they're getting primers from somewhere and they're getting powder from somewhere yeah that makes sense yeah hey don't you have to mine black powder i mean <laughs> Wouldn't that come from ore? I mean, it just falls from the sky, man. It just falls <laughs> from the sky. You know, if they make a water world too, I want to see the the production method here. You know, of all these things, I mean, perhaps they've enslaved the uh, the other mariner types who have become uh, half fish, half man, and and they're actually diving down and retrieving these things from uh, the former civilizations or something like that, and that's where they're getting all this stuff. But wouldn't it all be ruined for the most part? I mean, <laughs> I saw when they went down to uh, the Titanic, like probably 20, 25 years ago now with, with the little Arvin robot or whatever. Was it a Cameron who came up with that and paid for that? I, yeah, I want to say it was. Yeah, yeah. Because he was like big into it because he was doing the movie. Um, but, you know, everything's down there is wrecked. You know, it's it's barnacled and rusted out and like you don't recognize any of it really. I mean, they would show side by side with like pictures from back in 1911, 1912. But, you know, it wouldn't look anything like it other than the vague shape of it. It was really nice to see that the swimming pool was still full. That was cool. <laughs> uh, but I'm... All right. <laughs> I suck, I know. <laughs> well, let's talk about Deacon a little bit, because I, I felt like there... <laughs> let's talk about Deacon. <laughs> a little bit, just because I felt like there were a few lines uh, that they had him say that, that were to identify him as the evil capitalist, where he was like, um, I think he said something like, growth is progress. And there were a few yeah. other lines that we were supposed to take it as he was this evil not quite capitalist but like warlord kind of private guy and i don't mean private as in to himself but like not not checked by the benevolent government forces that keep bad capitalists and bad actors from doing bad things that's kind of the vibe i got did you did either of you get that okay i will i'll just make one comment real quick i didn't get the idea that most of the people that he he had surrounding him we're very good at taking orders. <laughs> I mean, I just don't get the idea that they were like, I, I, they respected him more than anything. They feared him, but they all seem too stupid to like, even be able to even just take normal orders. I mean, it was just, yeah, that, that was the idea that I got. It was just the worst leaders in the world are going to surround themselves with yes men and people who are incompetent to make themselves look good. Hmm. The best leader is going to want to surround themselves with the smartest people, people that are smarter than them. And Deacon seems to be the um, the former. Right, yeah, with with a little dose of uh, nepotism in there as well, because they're all apparently related, at least the ones that... <laughs> well, <laughs> <Or>, that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Robert, directed to you, do, did you see any like subtle messaging that Deacon was bad because he was the quote-unquote capitalist type? I don't recall him saying anything. I, if I went back and watched it again, I might pick up on the things you were talking about well there was his speech 
where he was like having this religious fervor type thing, but he was talking about they wanted to find dry land and then they would build and there would be progress and and all those things. Well, he did very much remind me of Immortan Joe from Fury Road, where Morton Joe dumps off the water when he gives his big religious fervor speech and everybody, all the masses down below are like praising him and whatever, because they're, you know, relying like, on him free health care, wipe out our college debt. Right. <laughs> and UBI. Time, I think he hands out like cans of smeat, I think is what he, what he dumped out. And they were all scrabbling for, which I just wonder if any of this food is any, I mean, I don't know where he gets it all. Like, okay, he's in a, he's, he's out raiding people and stealing stuff. But if this is hundreds of years in the future, long past any of this stuff being manufactured, I'm sorry to keep harping on the realisticness of this movie when it's clearly <laughs> a cartoon. I know this movie's a cartoon, but if they're going to try and demonize humanity, really, like saying that there's this, there's just going to be warlords fighting with each other and preying upon the good people and that sort of thing. I'd like it to be at least a little more realistic in terms of where's he getting this stuff that he's obviously buying their loyalty with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously ruling by force. You know, he's like anybody would threaten his supply of whatever. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's I, a combination I, it's of force. A, it's a combination of force and and redistribution of these goodies. Yeah. And the promise of future goods, right? Right. Because he's the only one with like half a brain even. And you know, he, at one point he gets them all to row the Exxon Valdez just in whatever general direction they happen to be going because he doesn't know actually the way to go. But they're all too dumb to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And they, so, have, yeah. they have the loyalty. And so he's like, yeah, they'll row for a month before they question it. Yeah. But he just had to tell them to row somewhere to appear to be in charge or to know what he was doing. Isn't that just like a politician not know the actual answer, but just so it looks like we're doing something, just do something. Deacon had a plan. Even if they're rowing away from land, they're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. He had a plan for that. Like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Even if it's a counterproductive plan, they'll enact it just to be seen like they're people of action. Yeah. I think the quote was, I promised them results and I, and I'll get them if I got to cut them out of her goddamn back when he was talking about cutting the tattoo out of the girl. To, to find the directions. So right. yeah, he was basically saying, well, I promised him, so I got to like come up with something. Right. So this is so, the, the advanced auction on stolen goods, HL Mencken style. Uh, go ahead. Pete. <laughs> so um, what were your favorite parts of the movie? What was like, what was your favorite scene? Like the scene that spoke to you? The- For me, it was the Atoll attack. I thought that was so much fun. It, I think it's what inspired the, um, what is it? The Universal Studios Waterworld um, show, which is, I think still running. I, I saw some videos on YouTube when I was, looking things up um it, it was just so much fun and while there's clearly like of the old time of hollywood back in the 90s when they didn't have really good cgi yet and they did everything practical and they just had stunt people you know just flying around doing wacky stuff i i didn't i don't know if any particular scene there was one other scene which when i think back on it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but when they after they escape from the atoll and they're deciding on whether the Mariner is deciding whether or not to keep these two women. Like, are they going to be worth anything? Are they just slowing me down? You know, are, I don't have enough supplies to keep these people alive. Oh, and that yeah, was like some yeah. hard, that was some hard stuff. Like this is a real decision. Yeah. Cause this he was like, real- let's kill the girl now. Right. Because you won't, bo- you both won't survive because there's not enough food. Yeah. There's not enough food or water. Although, however, he just plays like fishing with this giant sea monster and you can get all the fresh water out of that sea monster that you need. 
Yeah, like you're gonna yeah, get all, all kinds the, of liquid nutrients from the the, the flesh. Yeah, but, and all the food you need. Yeah, yeah. But up until that point, before we that was before we knew he could just pick up sea monsters. Um, before that, that, that was some really hard hitting stuff because those are the kind of decisions that you know early mariners had to make all the time when you'd get you know caught in the doldrums and there were no no wind for you know weeks or months and you might have to resort to cannibalism or just you know is it better to just kill this person right now kill these people right now because you're not going to make it it's some some real stuff yeah those are nice and and i'll answer with um two as well um the end uh i thought was great like when the uh final credits started rolling i was like thank god and then um (laughs) but before that was when i saw a lot of like property rights going on with on the boat and enola kept taking the crayons and like drawing on his boat and he was getting mad about this (laughs) you know and and it I was like, oh, writing that down, you know, like, oh, there's a demonstration of property rights. It's his boat. It's his rules. And uh, Helen was like, well, she doesn't know your rules. She's just a little girl. And so there's the proportionality and the punishment, right? Because he was pretty harsh on her. But part of that also, um, that that's what bonded them or endeared her to him and sort of caused the turn. So I think there is a little bit of humanity in that scene as well. And that's as a result of respecting the property rights uh, that she was violating on his boat. I also like how, um, not the much, uh, you're making excellent points with the uh, property rights and the crayons. And like, yeah, at one point, he's like I'm going to loan you this crayon, but it's not yours. I'm, it's not a gift. I'm just loaning it to you. I like that. But um, the uh, the fact that she couldn't swim, at first I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> the world doesn't know how to swim. I said the same. My wife, I, 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 my wife wasn't watching it. She was like on the other side of the room. And I think she was on the computer. And I'm like, oh. F word, son, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, "She's in Waterworld, and she can't swim." <laughs> Christ! But then it makes sense if she grew up on this island, and then she just never learned. But it's not doesn't explain, you know, how long ago she was on the island, and blah blah blah. But still, you would think that somebody would be like, "Hey, you're on this atoll now. You need to learn how to swim." That's just, of course, everyone would have to. All right, so I'm going to direct the question to you, Pete, and and I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to I'm going to guide you real briefly. Sure. Was your favorite scene the convenient toll holds that Kevin Costner was able to use to scale the Valdez <laughs> when he approached? Which is good. That's a good one. That really creeped me out because I'm like, oh, that's gotta, that's gotta hurt. Oh yeah, these yeah. open, rusty like holes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was. Yeah, that was one of the oh, cringe, cringe. No, my favorite scene just brought out my collapsitarianism. Is when he dropped that flare right down the freaking thing. Oh, he's like to blow it up, and I'm just like, yes, just blow this thing to the sky, you know, and everything. Get the heck out of there. I mean, I was just like, yes, that's what you got to do because that's gonna. Once you do that, it's chaos. And if you know what you're doing and you have a plan, everybody else is freaking out, and all you have to do is follow the plan. Yeah, and apparently there was no plan, not only in the depiction but also in the the shooting of this because after he does that. All the guys go below decks and like driving the car around and run into <laughs> stuff and die, apparently. Um, but that was so comic. It was so frigging comic. It was it really I mean, it, it's so graphic novel that it was amazing. I mean, I, I really think this movie would be a lot more entertaining and people would take it a lot more seriously as a graphic novel. Yeah, I think if they went like all that direction or all dark, all like super serious. Oh, like cannibal using the cannibalism yeah. and just like the yeah yeah that would be really cool yeah yeah it seems like it is weird a movie as it is they did try to tread the middle of the road and everything and i like when you either go one direction or the other you know it's like i mean 
I even like a wholesome movie. I don't care and everything, you know, oh, it makes me feel good and everything. I really like a movie when it just goes completely dark and you're just like, oh man, this is going to be a tough ride, you know? Right. It's like, um, and immediately think of Frank Miller, Dark Knight. I mean, Dark Knight was, that was one of the darkest movies when you really think about it. I remember um, I was talking to Bob Murphy and we talked about the scene where he breaks the pool cue and throws it out there and says, I have room for one one more member in my um you know in my organization and the guys have to fight it out oh yeah the two, yeah. You know, the two guys and, and, and he's like and bob said he's like he's like i just couldn't when i was watching that in the theater i just couldn't believe it that was just that just floored me and i was like no oh, that just seemed like the you know just the kind of thing to do to at the time to assert dominance and have everybody around you who's following you just be like this guy's absolutely insane i'm never gonna cross him right yeah that's the, the heath ledger joker right Oh yeah, he. I mean, I haven't. Seen, have you? Either of you seen the new Joker? Yeah, we both we did, did and, and we okay. did it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I have not. So please don't don't tell me. All right, um, don't listen to our show from like two weeks ago. Then. Oh, I've been avoiding everybody's show from uh, who's talking. Or if I if I look and see, oh, we're talking about the Joker. I'm like, I'm not watching that because I I, I want to see it. But of course, I'm one of those people who's waiting for like a really good torrent to come out so I don't have to go to the theater <laughs> because I hate people and you know I just don't want to be around. Maybe I'm the Joker. I don't <laughs> well you should definitely see it i'll just well, leave it oh, oh i want to see it i mean as soon like the first review i heard of it was someone's like it's not taxi driver but it has the feel of taxi driver and i'm like oh i'm in that's one of my favorite freaking movies so i'm in yeah i thought <laughs> I, that it got a bunch of like terrible reviews uh similar to how you were saying Waterworld got before anyone saw it um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were. Well, I mean, the SJWs apparently were looking to pan it because, of course, it was going to they saw it as I think what they were seeing it as was a judgment on, OK, minorities are going out and beating the shit out of this guy. And so, you know, he takes this really bad turn, becomes, quote unquote, alt right and everything like that. And it's like, I think that's the way they probably saw it. Uh, mind you, I'm trying to get into the mind of people who are absolutely insane. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, yeah. And really need to be on like heavy medication. So it's really hard to uh, to figure out. But um, um, I was I had a conversation with Lou Rockwell about the left the other day. So you, know, you can imagine how I'm I'm still in that mindset. But um, yeah, they um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's so nuts. Like I don't know if you've like looked at what they call young adult fiction and what that's gone through over the past couple of years with this whole political correctness, where people have written these novels and were paid hundreds of thousand dollars ahead of time, and they pulled the novels on their own because they thought they'd be problematic. No, I've only heard about like comic books going a full SJW turn and not selling well, but this sounds like a different thing. Oh, yeah, this is like young adult kind of stuff, you know, like, I mean, think about it. I guess people called like the Hunger Games novels young adult. And I freaking love the Hunger Games. Okay. Or or like the Harry Potter, whatever was like the latest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like there people were putting out these books and everything that that, paid six figures to do everything like that. And um, and people they're like pulling. And I'm like, how do you pull your own book? How do you you've been paid six figures? And as far as I know, if you have a contract with a company, they um, it, it's mind-boggling to me, you know. I wonder if um, it's not uh, like a, a planned thing, like oh, it's so controversial, you know, so it'll be like viral or sell better, you know, like WWF style, like a fake um, beef. Well, I, you know, and I think I think the I think what are they saying? The Joker is like the most successful R-rated movie of all time. Yep. Now, yeah, 
I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, I don't think that's manufactured. The, the rage of the left of these complete insane lunatics is I don't in a way it's manufactured. But I mean, I do believe there are true believers out there. Um, yeah, speaking of that, well, speaking of that novel, before we move on, I think I remember hearing, I don't remember the name of the novel, but I remember there was like a, like an Asian writer and she had like a African-American person in the book or she didn't have an African-American person in the book. And it was like somebody on Twitter, it was like super hyper woke, complained about the book and not being like properly representational or something like that. And then the author comes around and goes, oh yes, I should have been more whatever. I'm I'm going to voluntarily pull the book. It seemed well, like yeah that that's just something that's happening a lot now. Um, yeah, I mean when I hear somebody's super hyper woke, I immediately want to put them to sleep. Just for <laughs> for a little while. Not yeah, I don't want to kill them, but you know, I just yeah. But it's just it's complete insanity. It's like I mean I remember when I wrote wrote my first um, my first book. Fuck the Amazon um, reviews were trashed within like three or four weeks hmm. because a couple of commies um, found out about it and just got in touch with their commies friends and just started frigging negging neg negative reviewing it and everything. And I'm like, well, I mean, if they're, and then I read the reviews and I'm like, well, these people are obviously commies. So anybody on our side would read these and be like, this is a bunch of commie assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, now I will buy the book. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it, it's, I, I couldn't even imagine right now. I mean, I've heard so many stories about people like, oh, I wrote this book about this person who lives in the South in 1840, but it's a white person and they're not a slave owner and but they're not an abolitionist. And it's like, well, why aren't they at abolition? So I pulled the book. It's like, what the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what the hell, man? Are you going to be dictated to by that? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it one of one of those one of the books that um, they had slavery in it? But it wasn't the slave wasn't a black person or something like that. As if as if slavery's only ever happened to Africans before. Yeah. I, Somebody had written a book about um slavery that happened to like white Spanish people, and like that book wouldn't get published. It was like because it just didn't fit the narrative. You know, it's it's so weird because anybody who knows anything about the history of slavery who studied it slavery in South America and the Caribbean was so much more prevalent than it was here. And like Brazil didn't stop slavery until after we did, you know, after the United States did. And, um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's nuts, man. I mean, I really would be interested in figuring like to have a group of like these psychopaths sit down and watch Waterworld and see what they would have to say about it what their commentary would be. I mean, we're here delivering a very libertarian anarchist Rothbardian uh, kind of commentary on it. I would really be interested in seeing what these complete lunatics all the way over to the left side, you know, almost, almost crossing over horseshoe theory would say about this movie and find out what they found problematic in it. Cause there's a lot to find problematic. In it. Yeah. Oh, he, well, when, he when beats the Mariner a, beats a woman with an oar. the girl's time. Ah. Oh, I mean, and what were you saying, Daniel? Uh, he beats a woman with an oar. Yeah, yeah, or um, or when she offers him, yeah, she dr she drops her clothes to offer himself to her, uh, to him and everything. I mean, that's you know that has to be the height of just oppression and everything like that. Not like you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I well, was. Well, and property is theft, and so he's stealing the boat from her, and you know, all the resources that sort of thing. Right, and and defensive force of keeping 
the boat as his property would apparently be violence. Right. Uh, I watched that latest uh, Dave Smith one debunking the debunking of libertarianism. Oh, with the with the um with uh, Darth where he was debunking Darth Vader. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been taking in a lot of uh part of the problem lately. It's uh it's really good. Really good. Yeah, yeah, he's been doing he's been doing a really good job of taking down the uh the commies. I mean the com- commies were a joke. They're just a joke. I mean, it's, come on. Well, I actually have a joke on them. Uh, you know, when you talk to enough commies, oftentimes you'll hear, Oh, you just gotta read the conquest of bread by Kropotkin and then you'll get it. That's what I want, you know. So what did I do? I went and got conquestbread.com and I put a bunch of fucking Rothbard articles on it. Nice. So if you go to that, uh, did you really? I did. Uh, that's hero. Hero. It's it's a bit of a cape. It's more like a hoodie, but you know, close enough. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've I like to read. I like to read the um the commies, you know, especially the you know Prudhomme people like that. I mean they there's some good arguments in there um emma goldman emma goldman is one of my favorite anarchists of all time i mean her her um economics are dog shit but when she starts really going about anarchism it's friggin' amazing i mean she's she, she's really one of the best writers ever in my opinion but even when she talks about economics you know she went she was in jail here in 1917 when um the revolution started happening in Russia, but as soon as she was in jail for telling people to dodge the draft. Right. Thank you. Woodrow yeah. Wilson. Yeah. The monster. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a friggin' hero. I mean, she's a hero of mine. I, mean, I have a first edition of, of uh, one of her books and um, she, even when she, and then she goes to Russia when she gets out like two years later and she sees they're executing people who don't think like they do. And she's like, this is just total crap. And that's when she becomes a voluntarist. And you read her, you know, she'll be like, she'll have these five or six paragraphs about how horrible capitalism is and how horrible, you know, it's just, oh, it is. And then at the end, she goes, but we can't force people because it has to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, at the end and everything. So, you know. Um, yeah, we did um, Reds uh, a couple oh, of months ago. Oh, that's a great movie. It, it, do you find that movie is great? Do you think that movie is as great as I think it is? Probably not as great as you think it is, but it was pretty good. It was just so long. But, but I mean, I'm talking Emma, about how well done it was. How oh, well done it's it beautiful. Was. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. there's a whole lot of character development and and a lot of story going on. And and you do see that turn with Emma Goldman at the end, where yeah. she's like, it dawned on her the horror of actually implementing what they're yeah. you know what they're doing there with with the revolution. And yeah, it it um it did seem to be a turn, and it was well well portrayed. I haven't read any of her stuff. I I did read Kropotkin, and it's terrible. Um, well, if you want to, like, I can recommend if you can find a, a get a copy of Red Emma Speaks. It's back in '71. Someone just basically did a um, compilation of like her best essays and speeches and stuff like that. And that's probably the best thing to, um, I think, is the best thing to get if you want to read hers because right off the bat, it's just freaking. I mean, her the first essay is just bl- blows you out of the water. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I say I just think Rise was really well done. I mean, it was too long. It was just ridiculous. Uh, you know, I watched it over like three nights or something like that the last time I watched it. Me too. But, um, and obviously, <laughs> yeah, and obviously I don't agree with, I mean, especially Reed, what a what a piece of crap that guy was. But um, especially when he was condoning all the executions and everything like that, he should have put a bullet in his head right at that point. But um, really good movie, well-made movie. And it was great to see Emma's uh, progression. You know, in that where, you know, by the end of it, she's just like, this is just wrong. 
Yeah, she had a character yeah. arc just like the Mariner did in Waterworld, which is the movie we're talking about, and we should probably start winding down. Yeah, well, let's go back to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at tangents. I apologize. That's all we do here. We 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 ostensibly talk about the movie. Um, and and about your favorite scene where the Mariner's like they call his bluff, and he's like, "Nah, you know what? Fuck you guys." <laughs> he did have a plan because he's got gills. If that boat goes down, he doesn't care. Yeah. You know, he's the one that will survive. And so, yeah, he he knew totally what he was doing. And, and they should have known that because they knew he was a mutie. Well, and you should they should also assume that um, I, I would I would think that he would have been operating under the assumption that they just wouldn't have killed Enola for no reason. You know, just like, oh, well, let's just kill her because they're not going to kill her because she is the the key to finding dry land. So, you know, he knew by if he's going to sink this boat and everything, he just has to get her and get her off of there. It's not like they're just going to, you know, there may be a chance that she dies in an explosion or something like that, but they're not just going to kill her. So, you know, it was actually a pretty good plan. Well, let's talk about the, um, the morality of your favorite scene, because I think I'm on board with him getting on the ship and killing who he has to kill to get Enola. Like the rest, the rescue mission is good. Yeah. The rescue mission is good. But killing everybody on board the boat, like, do they all, are they all immoral actors if they are even a part of this operation? Do they all forfeit their property rights when they survive off of, you know, the raiders going out and getting stuff for them? It seems to be a slippery slope that would kind of implicate everybody or, but, or to varying degrees. Like that whole group of people on that boat, I mean, that's like a full society, right? You got like mothers, daughters. And they're under a religious leader, basically. They're all brainwashed, right? And yeah. you're basically making the uh, the Death Star argument from uh, one of the Kevin Smith movies. He's like, what about, yeah, yeah. What about all the contractors on there? You know, all the independent contractors. <laughs> well, I mean... The plumber. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you make a good point that I don't want to address. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, no, I understand what, I understand what you're saying. In the, in the heat of the moment of somebody trying to save their you know, someone that they've come to love and everything that people, I just think people can get irrational you know? and I'm not making excuses for it, but I'm saying, you know, it's like, like the whole Chris rock thing. I'll never beat a woman, but I understand. And it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't condone killing innocent people who are just there because they have nowhere else to be. I mean, if they weren't there, they'd be dead. Um, but you know, I understand when you're trying to save someone that you love and that doesn't excuse it. And maybe it is a violation of the nap or the zap, as Gerard Case Gerard Casey is try, uh, yeah, trying to change it to. I listened to that one today too. Yeah, um, but um, well, I think yeah. it's interesting that the audience. I think everybody in the audience would be on board with it, and they were kind of cheering, and they're all like, "Yeah, fuck those guys." Yeah, but they're everybody stated. on that boat. They're statements. They're not going to. I mean, it, I was arguing for a few. I can't believe I spent as much time on Twitter as I did today, but there was some guy who was just arguing today that, you know, it's just bombings in the middle East, you know, they're good. And I'm like, no, they're not because you're collateral damage, you know, everything. So this is actually, it's actually interesting that you bring that up um, because yeah, I mean, that is, that's a dilemma. Yeah. And, and Robert, I think it is a, a nice idea to bring up and you're right. Most audience members wouldn't see it this way at all. And they would take just, three guys like us to actually even question this um and i think that is one of the valuable things of listening to a show like this is that it's like even brought up into the mind of people to consider like oh what about those people is that right or wrong you know because it when you're in the audience you're like oh yeah fuck those guys they're all the bad guys but in the reality you know you got to think about it 
but yeah, the Death Star argument is a great. Um, I forget which Kevin Smith. I want to say it was in in Clerks in the original. I think. Yeah, it might have been, but um, yeah, that is a great argument because in the first one, um, you assume that everybody who's on the Death Star is evil. But in the second one, they are in the process of building it. So, yeah, you have these contractors who are just there <laughs> trying to trying to pay for their family, you know, trying to make money for their family and everything like that. And then these yeah. these goddamn terrorists go in there and blow it up. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, I think uh, we're, we're actually running a little bit long already. So why don't we get into the final summary and review portion of the show? And Robert, if you want to start us off, uh, we'll do a score decimal point deep and uh, take it away, sir. Okay, well, I started off by calling this a documentary, and I think it's it's a funny to think of as a documentary filmed in the future or in the great distant past, who knows? But um, Daniel poked holes in that theory. Thank you, Mr. Science. But uh, this is just a, a camp movie from you know ages past. You're not going to see a movie like this again, I don't think, anytime soon. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's not too smart, but it's got some, some interesting themes. Um, the acting, I... I've never bought Kevin Costner as like a serious dramatic actor. There's something about the way he he says he pronounces other languages that is just really cringy to me when he's trying to speak the language of the the atoll people or whatever it was, and a few other times when he's speaking weird languages, just all sounds really terrible. Uh, but you know, it's a it's I never you know it wasn't a hard watch. I was totally into it the whole time when the atoll attack happened. You know, convenient timing and all. It was just great, fun Hollywood camp and complete with, you know, cartoonish villains and stoic heroes and uh, reality gets thrown way out the window with the economics of the situation, with um, battle damage. I mean, people just shrug off gunshot wounds and, and the and, science and science. And it just, you know, he gets shot in the gut and then he swims down underwater and it doesn't seem to slow him down a bit. So I don't know if he's like a super merman guy or just like a regular guy, but I don't know. Apparently, because I've 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 swam with you know like gloves that web your hands and flippers, and I've never swam as fast as Kevin Costner does in this. And then he goes down to the bottom of the ocean, right? And it only takes him like what, like a few minutes to get down there? Yeah, like no pressure. You know? <laughs> yeah, no pressure would crush his skull like a grape. Yeah, and she didn't get the bends either coming up. So yeah, yeah, it's not the most scientifically accurate film, but it is good fun. Um, I would recommend it, but I wouldn't say it's like a good film. I would say this is like a six, but it's fun. I, I would put this on in the background and just have a good time, eat some popcorn. That's that's my review. All right. Well, thank you for that. And uh, Pete, I'll, I'll I'll let you go last uh, if that's okay. Um, sure. Get the door for you here. Uh, so I did actually find a note where it said the ancients did something terrible hundreds of years ago to cause all this water. So there was some reference to it being a few hundred years prior. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, and. Overall, uh, I found this movie to be um, almost as bad as I remembered. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that we watched it because I did think that there was a lot of stuff like worthy of discussion, but it wasn't uh, all that particularly well done. I think that maybe it was a, a limitation of what was possible at the time because they were doing a lot of practical effects and any of the CGI that was in there was actually pretty cheesy, especially when he's like floating down to, you know, over Denver, Colorado. <laughs> it, it looked like totally green screeny and all weird. Um but it is, you know, kind of fun in that uh, campy uh, cult classic kind of way, though I didn't find Ke Costner's character to be that uh, that that good of a guy. Like, I, I wasn't rooting for him um, at all. And I mean, I guess you kind of need that to, like, have him have a character arc. He can't just, you know, be this Pollyanna at the beginning and ended up being the Pollyanna. But 
I just didn't find it uh, all that believable. Um, you know, in general, it's it's a good watch, I guess, if you're kind of bored and you got a couple hours to kill. But I'm going to go with like a four and a half on this thing. So not to burst your bubble there, uh, there, Robert. But uh, Pete, what's your take? I'm going to agree with Robert on a six. That was the first number that came into my mind. I don't when I watched it again, I I thought it was better than the first time I watched it, which was, you know, right after it came out. Um, I mean, it's I think it's like actually probably maybe a good stoner movie mm. like if you got mm-hmm. if you got if you got high and watched it and everything and you can you know, maybe ask some questions and you know sit there and i think it would make deacon a lot more fun yeah you could ponder some ponder some um things about it obviously my favorite part is at the you know my my is the ending when they they finally make it to dry land because you know i'm a sap and yeah you know, i want to see everybody happy um but I mean, overall, it's it, you, people just have to go into it knowing that it's a cartoon. And really, it's probably just I, I, like, like I said earlier, I, I think it would be like one if more people watch this movie, it would be one of those pejoratives that they would throw out at us. It's like, oh, you just want a water world. You, you, you just want to live in water world where, you know, you everybody does what they want. And then every once in a while they trade and you'll probably get kidnapped and raped by people and everything like that. It just, I mean, that's the world that they painted. So, um, it's entertaining stoner movie. Maybe, um, eh, I mean, Kevin Costner's character, I thought was interesting. I thought it was, I'm, I'm sort of a Kevin Costner fan just because I really did like dances with wolves, which was what we talked about the last time. And that's, I think that's one of those movies that he gets a pass on everything else after that. But then again, you know, Bull Durham is a great movie, and um, even um, Tin Cup, um, right? Tin Cup, yes, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. Um, even No Way Out, people, people on a on a crap, uh, even Family Guy crap in that movie. Oh, and I know you're the, you're big on the Bodyguard too. I'm sure. No, I, that was <laughs> that was so bad. Oh my god! Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure he got paid. So you know, whatever. Um, but what is he? Um, oh, the the other movie he did, the one with with Clint Eastwood, where where he played a really bad guy who kidnapped a kid. Do you remember? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Um, What's Clint Eastwood's character? I don't remember this at all. Oh, yeah, all right. It's not Unforgiven, so, right? I'm gonna have to look this up. Well, Unforgiven is an amazing movie, but um, I don't remember Costner in that one. Costner. No, he wasn't in that. Um, I don't know. It was a perfect world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that. There's like a kid in that one. It's yeah. It's actually a a pretty good movie. It's you know if people want to see a movie where Kevin Costner plays a really really bad guy and Clint Eastwood plays a um you know a hero like a te- a Texas Ranger. Um, it's it's actually a, a decent movie. I think most people would would like it. Um, most of Costner was very interesting, very um fun to watch on screen, especially if we do the Postman in the future. I think he was really that, that was like probably the most underrated movie he ever did. So, yeah, I feel um, like this and the Postman and uh, Dances with Wolves are like kind of connected in a way. I view them a bit of as of, as a trilogy, and I yeah. think Dances with Wolves being as successful as it was kind of boosted his ego which caused a lot of friction on this film when it was being made. I think when, um, I think when we reviewed dance of wolves, I said it was also a great date movie because it was one of those movies that like the date I took to it, she cried and that, that helped out a lot in about an hour after the movie. (laughs) But, uh, we usually save these secrets for the bonus content. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, 
but um, this is like a six to me. Um, and I will stick with that stoner movie. You watch, you watch this high, and you'll um, you'll be like, this is pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that. And and uh, speaking of our bonus content, we call it Kathleen Turner Overdrive uh, from the High Fidelity movie, and we will. Uh, hopefully have you around for just a, a little bit of that. I know it's pretty late for you and you do have to work tomorrow, but if people want to access that, go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And if you support us at uh, the $5 a month or more level, you will get access to our pre-show and post-show content. Um, now, next week, uh, we're going to be doing uh, They Shall Not Grow Old due to Armistice Day or November 11th, now known as Veterans Day, which there's a whole story behind that. And we're going to have the most excellent Jeff Dice, the president of the Mises oh, nice. Institute, yeah. on for that. He penned a really great review on it a few months back, and it caught my eye. And I'm like, okay, that's that's the guy I want to have on when we talk about this one. So um, we're trying to make that happen. So next week, uh, They Should Not Grow Old. It's on HBO right now, everyone. So if you have the chance, do check it out. If you haven't already seen it, it's uh, very moving. It's um, I'd argue that it, it brings a whole new dimension uh, to watching footage from that era. Because when you see it in black and white and without audio, it's just kind of happening. And it's like old grainy footage and whatever. And, you know, like World War II film is kind of similar. Um, and, and I feel like in a lot of ways, the military industrial media complex has kind of caught on to the fact that um, like in the Vietnam War, a lot of entrenched reporters and imagery was coming back. And, and it was inciting a lot of people to be like, what the fuck are we doing over there? Like, this is terrible. And in more recent conflicts, you see less and less or more controlled information coming out. Like the embedded reporters in um, Gulf War II were a joke. You know, it was like all staged and all that. So, um, but anyway, that's that's one of the narratives I kind of want to break down with him um, next week when we do They Should Not Grow Old. And uh, Pete Mance Raider, Keen Jonas, thank you so much for being our guest. People can find you uh, on your podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall, and also at the Libertarian Institute, which is uh, run by Scott Horton, if I believe uh, that's correct, right? Scott Horton and the great Sheldon Richmond. Right. Yeah. So, so lots of stuff will be on our show notes page uh, for this one at lastnighters.com slash 96. And you can also find this on the launchpadmedia.com. Uh, so Pete, if you can stick around for just a, a little bit longer, uh, do a little bit of bonus content, we'd really appreciate that. Um, and yeah. uh, I hope that our audience definitely checked out your show. I'm sure that most of them already do listen to you because uh, we, we, I think cater to uh, some similar, similar types, but uh, sure. We do appreciate you coming on. Uh, any last words for our audience there, Robert? Well, just thanks for listening, everybody. This is a fun one with Pete Mance Raider, Raymond, um, Waterworld. Uh, yeah, it's fun to go back over these old movies and watch them again. I mean, I would never have watched this movie if I didn't do this show, and I'm glad I did. It, it was fun to talk about. Um, and uh, yeah, stick with us for more content in the coming weeks. We've got a lot of great guests lined up, so check us out. All right. Well, thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll say goodnight from last night. All right, and we'll continue the transmission just a few minutes longer on the Actual Anarchy podcast. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for coming on. Um, as this is our anarchy kind of portion, um, I was wondering if the uh, the whole, you know, in the cable guy, famously, um, <laughs> the uh, Jim, Carrey Jim Carrey character loves Waterworld, and he says, dry land is not a myth, though that line is never actually said in the film itself, in Waterworld. Um, but I was wondering if the, the whole notion of dry land is not a myth, if we can liken that to is an ANCAP society not a myth your take on that 
I don't think an ANCAP society is a myth. Um, I just think it is going to be a lot smaller than most people think. Mm. I've really, you, you were talking about um, how you're going to have Jeff Dice on to talk about um, they shall not grow old. And you're going to have it for Armistice Day, which is my birthday. Um, oh, happy birthday. Yeah. But um, I, I believe that you know, I go back to Hoppe in you know, 1996 and what shall, what must be done that we have to have 10,000 city states, even more. Yeah. The decentralization Jeff's big on that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, I've been, I wrote an article about that. I think I I released it on Monday and I've never had an article that was either loved as much or hated as much as that article. It was just absolutely amazing because I shit all over the Constitution in that article. I shit all over federalism in that article. And I just basically said, I said, if you're counting on next year, okay, next year, sorry, ah, sorry. Um, If you're counting on next year, the election, whoever wins, what are they going to do? Is there going to be more liberty? No, they're going to use it as a bludgeon against their enemy. So if the right wins, they're going to try and use it as a bludgeon against the left. If the left wins, they're definitely going to try and use it as a bludgeon against the left why would you want that that sounds like the worst marriage in the whole world it there needs to be a huge divorce and we need to cut this down we need to cut this down to you know i mean you know even mises rothbard talks about it quoting mises about how you know if canada and the united states aren't the same and you know you bring it down to you know individual secession and everything it has to get down to as small as possible and I mean, that's all. I, I think that's the only way it can work. I think that, it, you know, people say, oh, I was talking to this person on the internet and they're just, they're awful. They're so authoritarian. I'm like, yeah, secession. You, you, you don't want to have anything to do with that person. There's no, you know, there's, if you believe in human rights, the, uh, the doctrine of human rights, why do you have to associate with that person? Why do you, ha- I mean, I just don't think that, and people have this idea and the way a lot of anarchists and ANCAPs talk is we need the government to fail and then we'll have no, no, it, it's going to it's going to take secession movements. It's going to take, you know, uh, that's why I'm I'm a big fan of what the free uh, free state project is doing in New Hampshire, because, you know, it's a very small state. Um, you know, if there's a collapse of a monetary collapse, um, a real you know, like they talked about how 2008 was the housing bubble. A lot of people think that the next bubble will be the everything bubble. Well, why wouldn't some a small state that can sustain themselves like New Hampshire just say, yeah, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with that anymore. I mean, are they really going to send in armies to say no? I mean, who's going to win? Who's going to win that um, in the media? You know, when they're just going house, when they're going house to house and looking for leaders to kill them. And everything like that. I mean, I just think it's, I think that anarchy or ancapism or really small decentralization can work, uh, but it's going to have to be really small. You know, Hoppe was on, Ger- I think it was on German TV last year. And he said, they asked him, so what, what do you want? You know, they were just, what, what do you want? And he said, 
I want Europe to break up and to beat 10,000 Liechtensteins. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. It's, it's yeah, subtitled. That was amazing. And it was yeah. like two politicians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, how much of a boss was he on that? It was yeah. freaking amazing, you know? And I mean, I'm like, I'm like, you know, and I know so many people who, um, you know, hate Hoppe and everything like, oh, Hoppe, this and everything, or, or Lou Rockwell. I mean, I'm putting out an episode on Wednesday. Lou Rockwell is going to be on my show on Wednesday. And I know that's going to piss some people off, but I don't give a fuck. You know, it's like Lou Rockwell's, if it wasn't for fucking Lou Rockwell starting the Mises Institute, there'd be no, I don't know if Austrian economics would even exist right now. Yeah, I wouldn't be here. Not not without that and Ron Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, come on. It's Lou Rockwell basically saved libertarianism. I mean, if there was no Mises Institute, what would libertarianism be? A fight between Cato and reason? Yeah, and what what would they fight over? It's like the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on. Well, you know, it's like, who's going to be more left than the other one? I mean, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, I mean, I just, I think it comes down to decentralization. And I think, you know, volunteerism has a lot to do with it. I mean, I don't even really want to talk about ANCAP, ANCAP philosophy as much as volunteerism. Uh, when I was interviewed, when I did my interviews for the documentary we did, I don't, I didn't bring up anti-capitalism at all. I talked about volunteerism is you have a right to a natural right to associate with who you want to. Now, can I ask you to just real quickly uh, define what each one is like contrast them? Um, well, volunteerism can be so, uh, I mean, anarcho-capitalists will say that in a anarchist society, you can have an anarcho-capitalist system, a uh, city over here and you can have a, a um, socialist city over here and everything like that. Um, I guess there's really not much of a difference except the terminology. Okay. I've, I've um, considered them synonyms. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it's like for lack of a better term, I mean, I think a narco is just comes with so many preconceived notions. And at this point, capitalism, especially anybody who's studied the history of the term, I mean, it's a freaking term that Karl Marx yeah. came up with, you know, um, and I'm not against capital, the term capitalism, but it's not something that I prefer. I like free markets better or market anarchy or something like that. Right. But I, I like free markets better because, you know, when you even when you say market anarchy, people are, you know, jump. They don't they don't see the word market. They see the word anarchy. Right. Um, you know, I like free markets. Um, free markets and you know free association and that's what it should be and um, socialists should be able to get down with that libertarians should be able to get down with that um, I, I have no problem with the term libertarian socialist I know a lot of people say that that's an oxymoron but I believe that um, you know like an Emma Goldman was a libertarian socialist because she believed in, in you know that you had to choose what you were going to do and everything. Sorry about that. My alarm keeps going off for some reason. Um, oh, I know. I know we're over time. So, <laughs> but um, no, that it wasn't for that. It's for something else. Um, but you know, I, I don't. I, it's like I said, term terms mean a lot, right? People, and they do. They do seem to shift around. Like words do kind of drift in the meaning over over time, right? Different cultural norms and different usages and some co-optation that sometimes happens. Um, so, right. like the Austro Libertarian magazine just changed to the Bastion. Um, because they wanted to kind of forge their own, like, hey, we don't want to take on any of the baggage from any of these terms that previously exist. So we're going to call us something else. And and that's uh, we promote that magazine. It's really, really well done. Uh, it's CJ Angle. He's the editor for that. I, yeah, I know CJ. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just and, and when I heard he was doing it, I understood what he was doing. I just don't. I know that people understand what the, the most educated people understand what the term bastion is. But I don't. Austro libertarian. If somebody's not an Austro-libertarian and they see that, how interested are they going to be in it? Right. 
if somebody is not if somebody sees Bastion, is it going to be more of a pull? That was my only question. Yeah, I, mean, I love I love CJ. I mean, I, I I love the articles that are written for that are great and everything. I just I don't know. I mean, I don't my yeah. I mean, I've gotten to the point where it's like I hate all this terminology crap. I'm just I'm just like we have to break this down into smaller pieces. We right. have to break it down into manageable pieces. I mean, the idea that federalism that 327 million people can be represented by one person or 535 people. Mm-hmm. It's just insanity when you really sit and you think about it. I mean, I know that, you know, I mean, I'm at a certain point in my life and my thinking that I'm advanced upon, you know, most people who like myself spent, I mean, I, 15,000 hours in government schools being indoctrinated that the government do certain things that we know the free market can do. Um, I did spend some time in Catholic school where it, the indoctrination wasn't so hard. Um, but I mean, I just don't know. I, I don't know that the people who think that like, like I said, collapsitarian in my heart, but I don't think that it will be like that. I mean, it, if the dollar were to be, um, devalued overnight where nobody wanted it i'm sure these very smart people have something in its place to replace it so i mean i don't see you know the collapsitarians who'd be like oh well you know we're going to be in our own town and we're going to be trading silver and stuff like that that's cool i want you to do that and everything but i don't think that's going to be everywhere um and maybe it'll work out maybe it'll work out but i don't think the the federal government is going anywhere i think that it's up to certain locales and the smaller the better to let the federal government know we don't want anything to do with you and i think that that has to be not only one locale but has to be a lot of small locales doing it at the same time right and i i actually think that it would help a lot more if that was actually started by a more left kind of area you know, like if California decided that they wanted to secede. I love that. I meme. think, <laughs> I, yeah, I think everybody should be for California seceding. Leftists and people on the, on the right or wh- whomever should be for that and be like, yes, yes, you go do that. You go do that. Yeah. And now we're going to do yeah. Yeah, We're going to, but we're going to make it a little bit small. So, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's where my head's at with that is um, it's not going to be, it's not going to be on a grand scale. It's not going to be on a grand scale at all. It's going to be on a very, very small scale. And that makes sense to me at, yeah. this, moment, at this point. And I, I like that point of, of it. You almost need to be like the left doing it first because, you know, they've for so long demonized secessionism as yeah. being pro-slavery or whatever. But then when it's convenient for them, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to break away. And uh, there's a meme. I'm pretty sure it's, it's either from you or, or has been posted by you where it's California saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump. And the rest of the country's like, do it, bitch. And yeah, the other guy me, says, "That is a classic. Do guy, a backflip." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, I, I'm all for it, but you know, I also would like to see the northern part of California that's wanted to secede from California to be able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeffersonia, right? Or Jefferson? Jefferson? Yeah, the uh, the state of Jefferson or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just. I mean, think of the absurdity that well, you're not allowed to, you know, you need to keep associating with us. I mean, that's absurd on its face, but we're so indoctrinated that it sounds, you bring up secession and you will get, I mean, in my um, experience, I get attacked more from the right when I bring up secession than Mm -hmm. I do the left. Yeah. Well, like the, the, the Trump acolytes. Something now. 
Well, because yeah. of how great America is and the exceptionalism and it's sacred that it will always be the union and all that. Yeah. And they, you know, and yeah, and that's a, the whole thing is, is this whole tradition of the union and everything. Oh, well, this country was great. You know, the constitution and everything. It's just like constitution. I mean, come on guys. Yeah, And they all just pay lip service to it anyway. And, and, you know, we all have read Spooner, I'm sure. So we know that even in its best uh, interpretation, it's not even that good of a document, but it's better than the, the alternative uh, that has been offered thus far. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, um, I talked with uh, with Lou about this is we both he and I like the Articles of Confederation. I mean, they just you know, there's no federalism in there. It's, you know, the states are independently but banded together. Mutual defense yeah. and all that. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, guys, I got to go to sleep. I'm dying. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, we, we can tell you're at fubes here, but thank you for indulging us. Uh, this has been a lot of fun having you on. So again, everyone check out uh, Pete's show at Free Man Beyond the Wall and also at the Libertarian Institute. Is that at libertarianinstitute.org? Is that the correct? Libertarianinstitute.org. Yeah. It's um, Scott Horton started with that with Sheldon Richmond and Will Grigg. And the great Will Grigg died about two and a half years ago. And um, they've been, I was honored to have them ask me to put my name up on the masthead next to theirs. And um, I'd still wake up and pinch myself sometimes that my name is up there next to Scott Horton and Sheldon Richmond. Yeah, that's awesome. And and Will Grigg did great stuff on uh, police and police abuses uh, for years. I remember seeing a bunch of that stuff at LouRockwell.com and other areas. And he did great work. He was the best ever on the police state. And I write a lot on the police state for Libertarian Institute. And if I can achieve, if my, if I'm 20, if my articles are 20 to 30% of what his were, I feel like I did a good job because his, he, Will Greg was the best of us, the best podcaster, the best writer, best speaker. Guy was just freaking amazing. And he, Libertarian Institute, we put out his book, um, No Quarter, The Ravings of William Norman Grigg. And check that book out, man. It's just all of his articles. And he actually um, compiled that book and set it up before he died. So all the Libertarian Institute had to do was basically put it together a little bit, get Thomas Edlam, his friend who he was at JBS for a while, and they both left JBS right around the same time, and um, write a a huge forward for it that um, details how great Will was and... um, it's just a great book. It's sitting on my shelf in there. And every once in a while, when I want to get inspiration for writing on the police state, I just open up to any page and Will is there delivering a vocabulary that has me reading with a dictionary open next to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, very good. Yeah, we'll put a link to that on our show notes page, which will be at actualenergy.com slash 153 and also to all of your work. And uh, we really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'd love to have you on for Postman uh, and oh, yeah. also no Napoleon problem. Dynamite, uh, if that works for you. I know that oh, yeah. sparked oh, yeah. an interest. So uh, we will check in with you from time to time and uh, we'll continue to listen to your show as well. And we really appreciate you coming on. It was really great fun uh, having you on for Waterworld, Kevin Costner, Ishtar Epic. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Well, have a good night. And, and our audience, uh, they shall not road will be the next show with the great Jeff Deist of the Mises Institute. So check that out. It's on HBO now. And uh, we'll say maximum freedom, everyone. Peace out.
the chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.